At this, my heart trembles and leaps from its place. Welcome back to Hackberry House, a podcast devoted to the Word of God and the persecuted church in North Korea. My name is Bob. This is podcast number 472. It is May the 15th, 2016. Today, some heart-wrenching episodes from the little book I put together, actually a big book, several years ago called Hackberry House, Volume 1. It's two years with North Korea. I was never there inside the country. I was at South Korea at the border of North, but never been to the place itself, but uh, certainly have been inside the heart of some of the people of North Korea, and I began to write about them. As I read on page 43, if you have the book, I'm not one to endorse or praise the media. We all know the things of which the media is capable, but one cannot ignore a good piece of journalism. This was back in 2002 that this was put together. It featured a a serious and challenging Ted Koppel in the days when he presided over Nightline. I found the synopsis of the program at familycare.org slash news slash nightline.htm. And I'm producing about half of it right here in written form. The actual videos can be ordered from ABC News, but I caution you, your emotions could well lead you into serious issues having seen this story. I was emptied. It was unbearable. It still is to a degree. And yet it happened, and to some extent, in various forms, still happens today. Here's the summary. June 10, 2002. In the mountains of northeast China, an hour's walk into the forests, a family once hid underneath the earth. Three years ago, Kim Kansu and Kim Yong-i lived here with their five-year-old son, Yong-shin, in a hole in the ground, hiding from police. Their crime in the eyes of China and their homeland, North Korea, was simply that they left their famine-stricken country to look for food. Their underground hideout was only a couple of miles from the North Korean border, but it was one of many homes they had in the mountains since they had fled North Korea. Chinese police are paid a bounty to capture refugees like them and return them to North Korea. The Kims lived with the knowledge that if they were sent back, they would be labeled as traitors and possibly face execution. Though we don't have a house, living like this in hiding, at least we eat rice, which is rarely available in North Korea, even for well-off families. We just hope we don't get caught. That's what Young Hee, the mother, told Korean-American filmmaker Kim Jong-in at the time. Everything else is fine except for the fear and distress, said Kan Su, the father. Well, in the forest, surrounded by caution and living in fear, the Kims tried to keep some sense of a normal family life for their young son. Kan Su taught his son about the animals, showed him how to set traps to catch rabbits and birds. He used some of the game to trade for rice and vegetables at a local village. Kansu worked at a tobacco farm, an hour's walk from his hideout. His labor there was illegal, and he received no pay, 
but he was compensated with a small amount of rice, which he brought back to his family every three days or so. The family still bore the scars of their situation, though. Malnourishment from the famine of North Korea stunted young Xin's growth, and his parents mourned for their broken family. When the Kim family first came to China, they had three children, and young Yi was pregnant with a fourth. But they could not feed or educate them properly, hiding in the forest, and one by one they had to give their children away. The baby boy who was born in the hideout was first given to a childless Chinese family. Later, the Kims reluctantly handed their two girls to an orphanage. They considered it the girls' only chance of ever receiving a minimum standard of decent nutrition and education. Soon the Kims realized they could not provide enough for young Xin either. And so three years ago, and that would have been 1999, the Kims gave away the last of their children. Now is any sorrow like the sorrow of a bereaved parent or child? This is not uh, ABC News reporting now. This is where I took over the story. Can we not love God more as we see how he unselfishly, unflinchingly gave his only son for us, gave him away for us? Where are the Kims now? Did the children return to anything like normalcy? Was the family united? And what of the thousands of other Kims scarred forever by the tyranny in Pyongyang? Well, I wanted to know the answers to some of these questions, so I wrote the author of the story, the Korean lady who had, who had done the original interview. Her response was not all that comforting. She said that eight months after the painful tearing away, young Shin is reunited with his parents. Well, I'd like to think it's a gloriously happy event, this reunification. But the video shows the Kims visiting their girls, the ones they gave away in the orphanage. And that reunion is definitely not a glad one. Children don't always know what it means when a parent abandons them. And so is this happily ever after now? Well, not quite. While the family is hiding out in a small farming town in China, someone sees them and reports them to the police, and they're sent back to North Korea. The email reads here, fortunately, and this is from the author to me, fortunately they are together, and I don't know about all of them, but at least some of them, Though they went through a lot to get to this point. I can only imagine what she means by a lot. She tells me she simply cannot release all of the details. But we've already discussed what happens when North Koreans are returned to their prison land. What did they have to go through to be re-educated? Quote, unquote. Last report is that they're living in a small town in North Korea, barely making a living, but somehow there's enough to keep the family together. Hmm. Well, I have no idea where they might be now. This is 2016. Many things can change. Who is still living and not, I have no idea. Just to give you, though, a little glimpse, a little picture of what's going on 
in North Korea so that you'll pray and care about these people. The next article in my book is called Praise Unimaginable. Just when you think you've heard it all, along comes National Geographic, right? It's called Inside North Korea, this video. It's from 2006, and you can get it at nationalgeographic.com uh, slash channel. Um, here are the bare facts, though, from the jacket of the video. It says, go undercover with National Geographic correspondent Lisa Ling as she journeys into mysterious and reclusive North Korea. Posing as part of an international medical team, Lisa and her camera crew reveal the extraordinary hidden face of this insular little-known place. From the powerful control that, at that time, Kim Jong-il exerts over his people to the military powder keg of life along the heavily armed demilitarized zone, the DMZ. Filmed against the politically charged backdrop of North Korea's nuclear ambitions, Inside North Korea is a fascinating search for the truth and mutual understanding inside one of the most isolated nations on earth. Somehow that doesn't say it all, the jacket. <laughs> You'll have to see it to believe it, and then you won't believe it. Personally, I got ill from watching this one. Imagine a medical team now from another part of Asia doing 1,000, that's one zero 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 cataract surgeries in 10 days. 1,000 cataract surgeries in 10 days, just because these folks enjoy bringing sight to the sightless. Imagine multitudes of Koreans seeing for the first time in their lives. And what's so bad about that? Oh, that's wonderful. But keep imagining. Before the bandages are taken off, the patients are reminded that it is through the good graces of the dear leader, Kim Jong-il, that all this is taking place. As these horribly brainwashed folks see their first light of day, the first image upon which they are to focus is a picture of the, the dear leader. According to script, they run and jump to the picture. They bow down, they raise their hands, they scream, and they thank Kim Jong-il for their healing. What shall we do? How shall we pray? Oh God, how sick you must also be to see one robbing you of the glory that is yours. Our hearts are heavy with you, Lord. Show us your plan. How long, O oh Lord, for North Korea to see as you intended and see what you intended. One more today. Maybe two. Bible balloons invade North Korea. It's been going on for many years. Bright orange balloons bearing scriptures in the Korean language. They float over the northern border of South Korea into the southern section of North Korea. No DMZ minefield can stop them. North Korea's one million man army never shoots them down. Angry faced soldiers can't stare them away. They glide for miles at a time. Filled with helium 
and punctured by an ever so small opening that guides them almost scientifically to designated portions of the hermit kingdom. Delighted children find them in a field and run them home to aging grandmas and grandpas who weep over them if they are of the remnant church still surviving in horror land. Or they puzzle over them if they are of the great majority who have been brainwashed and totally uninformed about the outside world. Hundreds of thousands of these plastic missionaries have been sent out by dedicated South Koreans and their missionary cohorts. No one knows the full effect of their flights, but reports confirm that at least some have found their mark. Lives have been touched forever by a balloon. The government simply cannot keep the word of God out. It is not bound. A little comes in on airwaves, a little on tapes. A few Bibles get where they were intended to go. Oh, the precious life-giving word of God. Let's pray for the success of this foolish balloon ministry, which is confounding the wise regime of death. Now, the update is in 2008 on this one. This project has recently been replaced by the sending of much, much bigger and heavier balloons, but filled on the inside, not just with air, but with tracks and some other stuff too. God's word is not bound. One more little article and then we're done. I'm told that when one enters the struggle for the lives of this isolated nation, he or she may be up against more than bargained for. North Korea is a satanic stronghold on earth, the likes of which does not come around every day. The fate of this nation will determine the fate of many nations, and the enemy is strategically and therefore firmly entrenched there, or so he thinks. One nod from the Father and a host of angels could be released to defeat him and change the course of history, and for this we enter into spiritual warfare, never forgetting to address the day, today, the day-to-day suffering of the people. Many questions begin to form as the battle is waged as to the nature of the struggle when one gets beyond prayer. Perhaps many will not get beyond prayer since the spiritual battle is the only one that counts ultimately. For those who feel called to give material aid or assist in escapes, what happens if what happens if a person that you are helping tries to escape and is killed or imprisoned for life? I'm talking about if you lived over there and were trying to help, or if you got in in there somehow and were trying to help and really hurt the situation. What would happen if a person you are assisting does come out, but his family, left behind, is rounded up and imprisoned or executed because of what you did and how they got out? What if you're asked to pay off a lot of criminal mafia types and to bribe guards to get your person out? What's your ethical standard on that one? What if they succeed in getting to South Korea or even America and become so engrossed in worldliness that they lose the precious faith they once had and that saw them through every difficulty? What then? This is a difficult battle, folks. It's not as easy as you might think. What if you yourself get caught up in emaciated bodies and and forget the, the higher calling of ministering to emaciated souls? What if you get so involved in people over there that you forget the hurting around you and your own family and all of the above have happened? 
multiple times. Then must come the question, of course, is the hurting around me to be compared with the pain of a North Korean? Will your wife or children be pleased with your answer to that question? What about the cross, you're eventually going to ask? Am I a soldier of the cross, or are there those only soldiers who must pay for their warfare in starvation, torture, and death? Hard, hard questions for one who falls in love with North Korea. Do I love her because Christ loves her, or because I feel good? That, you know, that romantic feeling of loving someone, it's, a, it's all on the inside of you, it never touches them, but you feel good at, that you're going to love someone. Is it romantic love? Is it unreal? Is it unconnected? Or do I have scars to show that I really do love? Well, thankfully for my listeners, I stopped being an expert on this whole thing a long time ago. The questions I have asked have got to be tackled by everybody who hears them, I hope that you'll start tackling them. Find out why you don't love North Korea or people around you in pain. And if you do, find out why you do love them. Keep asking yourself. Not to the point where you do nothing. I don't mean that. You can get all intellectually involved in this and, and do nothing eventually. But be, be careful to check your motives. And check your spirit because the enemy can come in with this uh, battle. Be sure to join others around you. Don't try this one alone. This is a tough, tough one. I don't present these things week after week because it's easy. But I do ask that you start going beyond. Kick it up a notch. Okay. God bless you today. Tomorrow we continue with Bunyan and Pilgrim's Progress. Yeah, I said just Bunyan because I found out that the Spurgeon portion of this is, is done as far as book one, and we're not going to do book two, where Christiana goes to the celestial city, you might know. No, we're stopping with, uh, with book one, and, and the Spurgeon portion is done. We will do a, a bunch of Bunyan now, and finish out the book within a few days, perhaps this week. We will be finished with it, and then we'll get back to questions and answers. Thank you so much for being with me today, as you are every week. I hope learning more about North Korea that you can pray about and cry about talk to God about. Job 37.1 is where we started. At this, my heart trembles and leaps from its place.